And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. It's Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle. Today, we're going to be talking about international selling, the headaches, struggles, and horrors. And before I introduce today's guest and a friend of mine, shout out to today's sponsor. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Today's guest is no stranger to the show. Uh, been on before, and I've been on his podcast as well. Um, years have passed, and here we are again. Um, Ryan Kramer, welcome to the show. Andrew, thanks for having me on, man. I'm I'm so excited to be on your podcast because, man, you're rocking it with you know thousands of people over here. We're trying to scrape together, just yelling from the rooftops for international expansion, and, and not, don't get as many people interested, but. Hey, I'm all, I'm so excited to be talking with you today, man. Yeah, it's not um, you know, the difference is like uh, sometimes it's the topics and I know Frisbee's just getting the podcast started. Mm. Um, so you always got to start somewhere. Super glad to have you back on. I think it's honestly been since like 2020. Um, I've had you on the podcast. So it's been it's been a minute. Um, uh, but but we've obviously linked up since then. I'm super excited, forgive me, super excited to have you on, especially since you just got back from vacation. So uh, first day back, I'm getting your brain fresh. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is why I was joking. I said I needed a sabbatical one year into my job. I'm just going to take two weeks and spend it in a different country. So I'm doing a little project research, you know, checking out the the local uh, locals and see what they're doing and kind of getting a scalp for the land and call it a vacation. No, I love it. I mean, if you're going to help people sell internationally, I think you probably need to be traveling internationally as often as possible to just get, you know, boots on the ground. That's my pitch to uh, the people who have read the paychecks here at Frisbee. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I think I know a couple of them. So you do. Uh, I know she'll be laughing at that one. But, um, you know, I've had you on the show before, but for anyone new listening, I think it's just helpful to know who's talking to them. Who's Ryan? Yeah. And um, I know you've been around e-commerce for years and years, but let's talk a little bit about your story um, and how you got to Frisbee. Like, uh, did you start out in e-com? Did you start out in logistics? Um, you know, where's your story, at least in, in regards to e-commerce come in? Yeah, I, I love kind of, I, I says, I love talking about my story. Um, my story's weird, just like everyone else's. Um, it's a happenstantial story. I was, my first job out of college, I, I had a communications degree, marketing degree very general setting, but I wanted to be a graphic designer. Had a um, had a professor in college that said I would never be a graphic designer. So I, that really distra was distraught uh, for Ryan, young Ryan, um, 20 years old. Uh, but I was really good at like sales. Um, I did, you know, sales. I was selling Cutco cutlery, so the knives. Um, I was uh, advertising marketing uh, for our newspaper at our uh, college magazine. I was really good at talking to people and I was really good at listening. So I really wanted to find something that could mesh all those things together. And marketing was that, right? It's both sales of not just yourself, but an idea or a product. So yeah. um, 
that's what marketing is boiled down to. But I got a job with a newspaper company in Southern Indiana. First uh, started out uh, new business development. So I was on the road gathering 50 business cards from new businesses, trying to learn about them, trying to understand how we can help them grow on our website, our print material, you name it, whatever solution that made sense. I was pitching to them. I did really well. Um, it was a lot though, uh, driving around all day. Um, you know, you're in your car, you're eating in there and it was a lot for someone who started out, but in the newspaper industry, as you know, things shift all the time. It's not many people are reading newspapers physically anymore. Mm -hmm. They're all digital. So you don't need as much, uh, people support. So I was a young one. I was let go my first job out of college. I had a fiance at the time who was in Connecticut who uh, was graduating in four months. I had uh, no job and we were marrying in five months. So we were literally at this crossroads uh, figuratively and literally of no job. Uh, neither of us had an income. Uh, we were getting married and I felt like a failure already out of college. So over one. Um, but then I kind of got lucky. She got a job first and my wife now at the time we've been married uh, nine years um, she got a job in Virginia, so we decided to pick up and move. Um, I'm currently in Indiana, but we moved at the time to Virginia. And I got lucky with a, an affiliate marketing manager position at a home and gar garden manufacturer. Like, Did you know I was an affiliate marketing manager as well? I didn't, no. Yeah, I was like, was... everyone should at least go through affiliate marketing to get that side of the brain like working because there's nothing like it. Yeah, it was like networking. It was influencer marketing, really, you know, or From like network yeah. marketing at the beginning. Um, and my first role at the toy company was um, e-commerce and affiliate marketing manager. So they had like a several million dollars going through um, like link share and commission junction and those kinds of things. Yeah, back then. so same so. thing. I, I literally was selling myself of, I have no idea anything about e-commerce, but I'm willing to learn. And I remember saying those words and he looked at me and goes, you're the person. So... Um, it was a, it was a channel that wasn't, wasn't built. It was zero revenue. Some, so this company was used to selling out of catalogs and they still do. They're still around today. They're selling out of catalogs to retail stores, mm -hmm. but they're really trying to jumpstart this e-commerce industry, uh, inside of it. They were the number one seller of home, um, home gift garden items like garden flags. If you search garden flags on Amazon today, they're up there. Um, people reselling them. There's all sorts of craziness going on. But it was a really cool, unique way of 10,000 SKUs. My job was to say, hey, I need distressed inventory or products that we can work with margins, get listed on our D2C websites, and try to get affiliate channels to Push buy them. them. So um, Ryan was like, this sounds great. So I got integrated with uh, building websites on, um, gosh, back then it was like, um, it was like, it was not Webflow, but it was like a, like WordPress, but not really WordPress is one of those really archaic uh, build your websites uh, companies. Um, I was building landing pages for uh, like Commission Junction, uh, blog sites, deal sites that are still around today, like Slick Deals, um, any sort of blogs and making, putting their logo on it and driving traffic to it. And then the, kind of the breakthrough came when I created a deal, almost like a Prime Day deal for one of our distressed inventory pieces. We had like thousands of units. And overnight, I sold it and had it listed on this one particular blog, and I sold through 2,600 units Whoa. in one day. And they came to my desk, and they go, Ryan, what did you do? And I said, so what are you talking about? And they go, we have 2,600 orders for this one particular SKU. And I said, oh, yeah, it was me working with them, and we switched the price around, so there was a good deal. 
and it was exclusive to them. Bada bing, bada boom. And like all of a sudden our warehouse is like freaking out. They're shipping things out like crazy, um, offering free shipping and all this other stuff. So I got that taste. And then the CEO knew my name all of a sudden. The president knew my name all of a sudden. So we started developing strategy around deals and other affiliates and outside traffic, driving it to our website because we were making a lot more shipping ourselves than on Amazon. So right. that was kind of my introduction to e-commerce. Were they on Amazon back then? They were, yeah. So the... Um, so they were doing their own FBA channel. They were sending directly from uh, manufacturers in um, China directly to like UK, and they were starting to dabble in other different countries. But that was back in 2016, so there was no all this data, all these different softwares out there. It was just what sales were telling us that were coming in. We were trying to forecast or that could nine be. months in advance of inventory, new product, and we had 10,000 SKUs, so it wasn't very easy to just create a thousand units of each. There was so much velocity you would kill units you would you know you would create new ones so it was a lot of interesting insight from a manufacturer's side of things who was also selling directly to b2b but also selling directly to b2c and trying not to step on your own toes so that was a unique perspective of omni-channel selling um i loved working with them um, but after two years we wanted to move back closer to family um they wouldn't let me work remotely which is kind of funny at this time in our age. Um, so I found a different job outside of e-commerce, hated that job after two years and got back into it with software. I've uh, worked with Viral Launch. I've worked at a, you know, the software company launching Viral products. Launch. That's, that's interesting. Throwing because... back in the day. Yeah. That yeah, was my introduction back to the third party world of Amazon. Yeah. I um, definitely was a user of Viral Launch, like with private <laughs> label brands. I'm, I'm like, I don't know who wasn't back then. Um, that was interesting. I don't think we met while you were at Viral Launch. I think we no, met yeah. a, a little I, bit I later at Ping Pong. Viral Launch in 2019, I was there a year, and then we launched our PPC software um, at that time. And then like any startup, things go up and things go down. Um, we went from 70-something employees down to 15. I was one of the 15 left. And uh, everyone's kind of looking around like, okay, what's next? Um, Ping Pong came knocking at the door, actually right after that uh, lucky enough and uh swooped me up right before covid started and um there's a lot of crazy things that are going to happen in 2020 before covid and uh then everything shut down and i was working on my office here in indiana kind of met people like you uh, virtually and then a couple of years later just uh opportunities and learnings and things like that and international growth and expansion started meeting people like pearl Ausch, and she came knocking on my door one day and met up in new york and said Hey, we are we're gonna be making this really big move, and we want you to be a part of it. I had no, I mean, I I love to pat myself on the back, but she's she's a believer in people, and uh, that's kind of my my journey. I'm, if I'm gonna give myself credit, is I've made people believe in me, and I haven't let them down. So yeah, luckily, I, that's where I'm at today. You know, I think when you're in marketing um, and in this e-commerce uh, you know industry, it's really about just knowing all the pieces of e-commerce like you know from a high level and really understanding what works with what and i mean you really think about understanding how to launch products uh understanding payment processing and transaction flow uh understanding affiliate marketing and co-marketing influencers like how, the effect that those can have on it uh content from creating those pages together with people um you know and that's just to name a few of the things that are all different parts of the e-commerce um and understanding what goes into them i think uh 
with my own journey, I've done all the different pieces of Amazon specifically. But before that, I was in affiliate marketing, e-commerce. I was also a bartender. Uh, I was also in a band, you know, where we were making MySpace flyers and album art and T-shirts and merch and, you know, things that now um, I do every single day in e-com. But like back then was, you know, something new for me, learning sales, learning how to push my albums, learning how to schedule a, a, a tour, uh, you know, a six-week tour back to back to back like what's that look like and event planning and you know all the things we bring with us to make us who we are uh but it's like you know now i'm learning about tiktok and i'm learning about you know uh off amazon marketing strategies and and uh also i spend a lot of time within the agency so instead of building the brands exactly the team does a lot of that and how do i make my agency more efficient well Mm -hmm. each time i get to something new I didn't know it before, right? I think it's long gone as the times where maybe you work at the newspaper and the print shop for 30 years and you're perfect. You know, you're perfect at what you do. It just doesn't work like that anymore. You know, jobs evolve and um, we evolve. So, you know, I love Pearl. Um, We were partners with uh, First Choice Shipping before it became Frisbee. Um, You know, so been been, um, partnering with your company and and Pearl uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, yeah. with ping pong we still use ping pong today so um let's talk about let's get into international um some of the headaches some of the horror stories um international selling i currently have three brands um right now that we're working with that are expanding um into canada um uh, a uk brand that launched in the u.s first uh yeah. and now we're going to be launching in the uk so really? you know um this is like very relevant conversation to my real world every day um, you know, and there's a lot that can go into it. Like, um, you know, from, uh, on the logistics side, everyone wants to know like, well, what, you know, what, what is needed if I'm going to start selling in these marketplaces? Well, outside of logistics and VAT and, you know, business identity and getting things set up like that, um, it's pretty straightforward in regards to the Amazon side. Maybe you're doing localization. Maybe you're, you know, so your content, your images for anyone that doesn't know, maybe you're making them more localized where you're selling or you're translating the copy. Um, but a lot of the, the hurdles at the beginning of a launch come down to like logistics, you know, um, and supply chain and, um, all those kinds of things the, today's title is, is the headaches, the struggles and the horrors. But I think we can talk about some of the good as well. I think that's yeah. going to be okay. And people can handle <laughs> that. Um, you know, but for me, um, uh, honestly, our international channels as far from a profitability standpoint are easier for me than in the United States. Um, they're smaller channels, sure, as far as revenue. Uh, but when we start looking at those profit loss statements and things like that, things like, um, conversion rate differences and uh, being able to raise prices as American made products that we're now selling internationally. Those are all things that help the bottom line. Mm. Um, Let's just talk about some of the few things that can come up when it comes to international uh, selling. I remember I'll tell one of my horror stories early and then I'll set the bar and pass the mic. But um, we, it's a brand I still work with today. Uh, We are in Canada now and we launched to the UK in the early days of Amazon UK. And, um, they made a rule change there that kind of just pulled us out, really scared us. Um, you had to essentially have a warehouse, I believe, a physical warehouse in the UK um, to be selling an FBA. And now you can correct me, may, maybe if I'm wrong, I don't believe that you have to. Um, but at the time, it was like this two-year maybe window where uh, we were already selling in the UK. And then they're like, you need to have a warehouse there. And as far as us with costs, and we weren't super successful yet at that time, and we just pulled out. 
Um, and you know, we probably lost several thousand dollars between getting inventory there and pulling sure. it out and all those kinds of things. Um, but simply like, you know, rules changing, uh, things like Brexit, uh, where, you know, at first it used to be, okay, let's launch in an in English speaking country of, of the UK. And that would expand us to Germany, France, you know, all of these different, uh, countries, uh, because of their unified FBA. Well, now with Brexit, uh, the UK and Germany are different markets and you're now you're launching in a German market, um, which can have its difficulties. So um, I don't know some of the horror stories maybe that you can share, but what's a what's a couple maybe in the last uh, six months that you've seen uh, from some people trying to expand internationally and doing it wrong? Yeah. So to to clarify, yes, you can uh, you can go to those different countries without having a physical entity now there. Now it's uh, UK has changed to where you can actually partner with you know, a third party and, you know, it's called an importer record. You have a person who acts on your behalf. Is that NRI or? Uh, NRI for Canada. So not okay. resident number would be for Canada, but for UK it would be importer record or IOR. So, right. um, yeah, I, I like to set the bar and say, like, people think about international expansion. So you had mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, I came back from Italy, right? And And so... The, the story we like to say is, well, what does it mean to move your products from one country to another? Well, when you come into another country, whether you're to or from, you'll have uh, you'll have border patrol, right? You have people who stop you and they say, do you have anything to declare? Mainly, it's to protect the country or their imports or exports, make sure that they're profitable and you're not like smuggling, uh, you know, 50,000 hibiscus plants or something crazy like that. Uh, uh, they they want to support their local economy. So if you bring in something from the outside, they would tax you on it. So yeah. um, that, that's kind of a long story short of like what customs is. When they say, do you need to declare anything? It's mainly taxing outside products that are not made in their country. Um, most people lie, but don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> but it's a lot different with business when you're, you know, you're shipping thousands of dollars in goods to one country because you have border patrol. You have all these people who actually look at the their invoice and say, like, what are you actually shipping? Um, you see it on movies all the time, TV shows like big freighters. They can move from one country or on a train or on a truck. They get stopped. You give them a big clipboard and they look through and they say, what's in these containers? Um, and every every product and every item has a different tax you know, bracket. I won't get into the boring details, but um, that, that's kind of the the movings and crossings and goings of, of goods. A horror story that comes to mind is when... Um, you know, with Brexit, you were talking about, I go back to the financial side of things. People don't think when you sell into different countries, you're not thinking about other currencies as well. So when I went to Europe recently, I had to exchange my dollar to the euro. Mm -hmm. The dollar is not as strong as the euro is. So every time I actually bought something equivalent, if I went to Dolce Cabana, for example, both in the same country, if I listed it for 100 euros versus $100, I'm actually... I'm actually losing money if I bought it overseas than if I would have waited and paid it dollar dollar instead of convert my money over, lose seven cents on the dollar, and then buy the same exact product at a higher markup. So again, it's it, you have to think about it in different ways, both financial um, cost, but also just the valuation of the different countries in the world where you're selling your goods. So first story that comes to mind is when Brexit happened. Um, anyone who had the pound at the time when Brexit was announced, that valuation plummeted. So if I was a seller making, you know, ten thousand dollars, that that value dropped down to like three thousand. Wow. So even for doing nothing, but just because of the economy's political changes. Yeah, political changes and the uncertainty of 
how value is the pound going to be now that it's not part of Europe? It's out of your hands. You can't just uh, write a letter to the editor and say, excuse me, can you make that change in your policy change? That that That's it. And in the blink of an eye, your money was now not as valuable as where it was. If it's sitting in a pound, you don't want to exchange it anymore because you're literally losing $7,000 in that example. So that that's a horror story um, from the past where a lot of, you know, sellers were struggling because they were afraid that the value of the pound is just not as strong as the dollar. So you were literally losing money. It was the same as if I was in the uh, seller in the UK, for example, and I was selling in the United States. Why would I want to sell something in the dollar when I exchange it back to the pound? I'm losing seven cents on every dollar that I exchange. It doesn't make sense financially, but now because the pound's higher and they're kind of coming up in valuation, they're coming almost a little little bit more identical than a year ago, you're seeing a lot more UK sellers who are saying, now's the time I want to sell into the United States because even if I was just flat year over year, I'm now increasing my revenue just because of the valuation of the dollars higher. Mm. So again, financially, people don't think about the fluctuations around the world. If I'm selling in one market, it might behoove me to just not sell in that market at all because of how strong or how weak a certain currency is. Or take advantage of where you're located and maybe uh, move products from one country to another based upon tax regulations and things like that. So not to bore the listeners today, I've already probably lost a couple. Uh, but uh, those are the things that we, we're experiencing and have horror stories of, oh my gosh, um, you know, my inventory, I can't even get it in um, to a warehouse and fulfillment center in Canada because they're not accepting shipments anymore. Um, we've had sellers who didn't fill out their inco terms right or their uh, purchase order and they didn't pay their taxes before sending it to Canada. So once they got to the border, uh, the border patrol, uh, you know, they check, with, Canada, they check with Amazon. It. They're like, Hey, are you going to pay these taxes? Cause they didn't. So which one is it? Amazon refuses it a hundred percent of the time. So it just sat there and then they shipped it back and that's on the seller's dime. So they lost thousands of dollars just for not, you know, marking a simple, we're going to pay the taxes ahead of time before Amazon does. So those are those are really sad things that are all avoidable that we try to teach our sellers. Um that that are kind of like headaches and they're they're compliance. They're horror right? stories. Just, yeah. It's just it's just super important. You either if you can do it in house and you can take that risk, uh, you know, great. Uh otherwise find a partner or an agency that can help you with that. You exactly. Know? Um, I think the best move really, if you can afford it, is to hire the partner agency that can help you until you learn enough to not implode you know, yeah. uh, and, and avoid those mistakes. And, um, hopefully you're finding a partner that will educate you along the way. Otherwise you're just paying for them to get it done. Um, but you know, honestly, some of my biggest mistakes as an Amazon consultant, even before I had an agency have been in, um, regards to inventory, you know, sending in the wrong inventory. We just had a brand literally, um, they're a Canadian brand. Like this is the type of stuff that happens. They're a Canadian brand. Um, they sent pallets of inventory to their U S account. And they sent the the inventory that was supposed to be sent to their Canadian account also to the, the United States account. So, and they're in Canada. So you can imagine that they've paid to, uh, to export it to the United States. Um, and like now Amazon doesn't know what to do with the shipment. It's going to come back. It's going to cost us, you know, double, uh, triple maybe. Um, we're actually trying to get them uh the US to relabel. We'll see because mm-hmm. it has FS and SKUs right for Canada. So some nerdy talk, but essentially <laughs> product was labeled for Canada, not for the US. And so United States Amazon fulfillment center is not going to know what to do. 
Um, but this is stuff that happens every day. Um, and this is not just for Amazon sellers. This is on the economies of scale. This is a uh, hey, um, Sephora's inbounding their 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 containers of makeup products or whatever other products they're selling from. You know, I would call it China, but it could be from anywhere in the world. And they're dealing with container. I mean, that's what we saw during COVID. Uh, Home Depot bought their own freighters because they just needed inventory and they couldn't rely on anyone else because everything got stuck at ports. Um, and that's just the shipping logistics side. Um, you know, manufacturers got shut down because of sicknesses. Um, uh, Canada uh, fulfillment centers did not, Canada didn't have Prime Day one year because all, everyone got sick in their fulfillment centers and they literally just couldn't handle it. Um, so they just decided to nix Canada Prime Day on one year. I remember it was, what, 2021? Um, but now, obviously, it's, it's things are getting better. Um, prices are coming down on freighters. Um, th- there's just so many moving pieces around the world that when I ask people, what does a global brand mean to you? Uh, and you think about like those those things. Uh, you think of the Nikes of the world, right? And you read uh, Phil Knight's book, uh, Shoe Dog. You think about all the crazy stories he had to work with his suppliers in uh, South Korea versus, um, you know, all over the world, Mexico, and they were just comparing and they're on the floor and they were looking at like the quality of product um, to get it in. Um, They're innovating and they're, uh, they had to negotiate prices because of royalties. Um, If you're, if you're a royalty based product, it's completely crazy all over the world. And that's why you see Apple make their products overseas. Um, it's a lot cheaper, and they keep their money overseas because the exchange rate's terrible. Um, th- there's all these economies of scale of international movings of both product, but money and people. So wherever people can work better or cheaper, or your products can be made cheaper, or just makes more sense to assemble here in the United States instead of produce and make over there and produce it here and put it together, all that matters depending on what product or service you're selling. Yeah. And, and, um, I had like some, I have some interesting stories that I won't get into cause I don't want to like get myself in jail, but, um, you know, I grew up in, uh, Africa. I grew up in, uh, Cameroon, Botswana, Moscow, and specifically Congo, Congo during a, a war where if you, if you were to Google this and research this, you'll just have to take my word on it, um, was one of the worst exchange rates in the country's history. It was like a backpack of money, uh, for like a thousand us dollars, you know, just like an absolute, bunch of money if you uh they were at such bad odds with the u.s at that time that if you were to go to the bank to exchange your money we were a missionary family if you were to go to the bank to exchange your money you would have like i mean it would have been getting like pennies for a hundred dollars for example mm-hmm. um in francs congolese francs uh, he was making up his own money they're printing money it was crazy um so you had to go through back channels you had to go through back channels and um you know to get the real street value of what the u.s dollar was worth um it was dangerous like but it was also the only way to survive you just literally couldn't you can't exchange 100 u.s dollars for pennies you know so um you had to get it done so at a young age i understood this concept um of of exchange rates and uh you know money differences and how far a thousand u.s dollars could could get you in a country like congo um same thing in in countries like uh you know colombia or like um mexico or even portugal portugal is one of the cheaper countries in europe your money goes further um and knowledge about this that's for the better for better so as a traveler i am thinking where does my money go further right right? as a business person um you can be looking for those same things um and those opportunities as much as it is just like 
regular straightforward business opportunity. There's also differences around location and, and labor and talent and staffing and, um, you know, all of those things. So, uh, super, super interesting stuff. Like, um, you know, we're working with, um, uh, where was I going with that? Um, talking about expanding internationally, I was going to ask, um, you know, we talk about the UK and Canada and stuff like that, but I actually just had a conversation, uh, this week. I had two speaking events in Jordan, uh, the country of Jordan where they have, um, a free trade agreement with the United States. Like there's only a few, a few countries over there in the middle East that have free trade agreements. Um, so a big opportunity for manufacturers there and for sellers there trying to get into the United States, they're coming into the United States. So I was, you know, advising them about, um, all of the costs to consider and, um, you know, the opportunity as well as like the main things to think about when you're launching products and what type of products to launch. And um, it was a lot of fun because I love talking to markets that haven't got that education yet. You know, it's one yeah. thing to go to like one of the hot zones, like say Miami or New York and speak and people are very educated there around what we do. Um, but going into new markets where it's like a big opportunity is exciting for me, uh, especially as someone that was like raised internationally. I know what it means for them uh, to be able to get into like a U.S. market. Right. So um, it was really, really interesting and really cool. And, and I had to do quite a bit of research on the free trade agreements and um, understanding what those were to be able to do the presentation and um, just found it, you know, very interesting. We talk about Canada and the U.K. as being you know, the markets that always come to mind, uh, cause those are usually the first ones that I'm pushing people to expand into, but yep. there's so many more markets that keep emerging. Um, honestly it, it behooves everybody. Um, that's like looking into international to, to learn the process in general, like the, like, you know, it's not about learning it for each specific country, but learning the process in general, because, uh, the, op- it'd be like being able to get on Amazon in the early days, like mm-hmm. some of these markets. And it's a huge opportunity. Um, what are some of the, just for fun, like what are some of the markets that um, you now know of that are doing well that maybe you wouldn't have thought of initially? Yeah, so I I think it's really funny when I did breakdown. So I, I recently did a, a presentation for all of Amazon Global Sales Team in Canada. And I looked at the, the traffic in Canada based upon, you know, e-commerce stores. Amazon.ca number one, that's awesome. Amazon.com was number two. And then you had other ones of like CanadianTire.com, which was for anyone who's not in Canada, that's that's kind of like a Costco or like a big bulk store where you can buy everything. It's a really cool marketplace for Canada. But when we talked to the head of Amazon Canada, he said specifically something so interesting because of the population of where Canada is. 90% of people live within two to three hours driving range of the U.S. border. Why you see .com so high up on that list is because if it's not available in .ca, they will literally go get a PO box or some some person's home that they know in the United States and Vancouver or like in in that border area. They will get it shipped there, and then they will literally drive across the border, pick it up, and bring it back with them because it's not available to them in Canada. But they're they're really trying to get more people uh, and more inventory up there, so it's available. But people do that because their catalog isn't the same as .com. So we try to educate of, hey, you might think that there's just not as many sales. There's just not the same catalog in .com as there is in .ca, .uk, or .de across the board just because of the adoption yet. Um, What's surprising, um, I mean, I've been been really excited about the Japan market. I think uh, Amazon recently in the last eight months 
overtook Rakuten, which is, mm-hmm. if you know Rakuten you, here in the US, we know as a cashback site. So it's going back to our affiliate marketing, they bought Ebates. Um, they make a big play for that, their marketplace, but they get a lot of it from uh, affiliate marketing. They get a lot of their brands that they work with through affiliate marketing. Um, but in Japan, where they're based out of, um, they were overtaken by by Amazon strictly on volume, strictly on you know revenue. Um, so that's super fascinating for us. Um, but Amazon, they've announced their plans again. It constantly changes. Um, they're really focused around South America and Africa right now, which is going back to you where you're saying about Africa. Africa, um, I, th- I think Ghana. Ghana will become the number one most populous country in the entire world by 2035, 2045. Something crazy where if you're talking about just eyeballs and strictly the availability, if you can figure out how to enter a market with the number one you know, populous country available and you can deliver to them, you're, you're, you're doing pretty good. Right. So uh, I know that Amazon's focus on the rumor was South America uh, coming down the pipeline. Um, they talked about Chile and South America, uh, Africa for first and Chile and South America. Um, you know, they might do Honduras. They're, they're kind of like circling Brazil. So it's a little bit easier. It's just logistically, it's a little bit tougher. Um, but yeah, I mean, surprisingly, I think Mexico is the most fascinating, but still stringent and tough and difficult market to, to really just do well in. Um, I, I think it's because of you need to have that physical entity in Mexico as of right now. There's still not an absolute solution to get your products and to sell to um, .mx people uh, to customers right now. It, it's just logistically because of how the countries are set up and legally what you have to do as a seller. If I was based in any, any other country, it's so difficult and it's not worth a headache. We tell our sellers, hey, NARF is probably going to be the easiest thing for you right now. To be honest, in the the best way to sell to that consumer right now. Um, but I, I mean, Germany, I mean, if you think about it, the Amazon, and I'm looking at a report from Amazon Small Business Empowerment Report. Amazon US sellers actually, they, they exported 260 million products last year, which is crazy number um, that will continuously go up. Um, the numbers that they're talking about going outbound, but we're not talking about the numbers of products that we're getting inbound from sellers who are in China. Correct. the U.S. We're not talking about Europe into the U.S. And those GMVs, so like GMV for everyone who's here, like you're talking about areas of the world. So South Asia, you're talking about Japan, you're talking about Singapore, you're talking about that. It's the number four in the world. And there, uh, logistically, if Amazon kind of got its act together, you would be talking to a really populous area of Australian sellers buying from Japan. Japan buying from China, China China buying from Australia. They all talk to each other because if it's not available in one, they know for a fact they can get probably that from a different country right over around there. Same with Europe, number two in the world. The U.S. is still up there in one. Um, Africa will be there pretty quickly. It's just you got to think of regions of where you're available, and people are cross-border buying all the time. Not just on Amazon, but on Shopify. They're buying on, you know, you're talking about TikTok. I can... I, I can count on my hands how many times I bought from a, a foreign brand because it was available here locally and I bought and it was shipped from, you know, uh, it was shipped from the UK, but they, they still sold it and they had a partner in the US and they got it here in five days. Right. doesn't matter. I, I still, they still captured me because, you know, they, they're a global brand and that's what it, the world's going towards. Yeah. I buy a lot of, um, a lot of the things I buy, 
internationally are off of Etsy, I think. Um, yeah, Canada like, is big for on Etsy right now. Like I've bought a ton of products from Canadian sellers on Etsy. Yeah, so. if I'm just looking for something unique, like, you know, sometimes it's like a, a game board or like, you know, something for a costume handmade or like I'm just giving some examples yeah. in my last few, but it's been these like kind of custom pieces or like something unique that's being made there. Um, and Etsy, like Etsy has a good showing for that, for sure. Um, you know, I want to echo uh, Japan. Um, we've, we've launched some sellers there. Um, tremendous results, you know, a little bit of like interestingness to it too, to any Amazon sellers listening on this, um, the credit, like, uh, credit points, you mm -hmm. know, that they do in that system. I don't know if you know about it or anything, but everything that basically gets bought in that economy has something to do with like points. There's a point system. Um, it's interesting. I'm still trying to get my head around it, but it's essentially like getting like, you know, credit card points for using your travel mm -hmm. card but it's like for all purchases not just for the card that you're using they like getting a, a little gift um for everything every time they spend their money it's it's great i mean but if you think about that economy too when people are i had the most fascinating podcast conversation with ritu yava which was um from ppc on um uh, uh, ninja ppc ninja yeah sorry there's a lot of ppc blanks out there um but she had a conversation around Japan and PPC, and she said she has to do the same cadences in four different like languages, essentially. So it's for men, women, um, and then the two localized like languages in different parts of Japan. Which, in my mind, I'm thinking right there alone, I can guarantee that half the people listening to that, they're like, nope, Japan seems difficult. But yeah. if you think about that as an opportunity and saying, there's so many people are just going to look at that and think of it as a lost cause. I'm going to think of it as a good, keep those people out. It's easier for me to clean up right in there. Um, I love the difficulty. Like I've always leaned into that, like, um, you know, creating a service-based business versus a SaaS, for example, is more difficult. Running people is more difficult. Uh, Amazon, a very difficult channel. Uh, Andrew as a person likes the challenge, likes the difficulty. See difficulty. And um, I've always been on the outside looking in of groups and like, you know, this club or that club, like growing up, I think it's, it's put me in a way of being like, um, not everyone's going to be able to do it it's going to come down to the people that can be able to do it. Like I, I lean into that. Um, and so it, like e-commerce is a, is an equal playing field. If you can figure it out, then, you know, it's an opportunity. And you know, the way I handled Japan, just if anyone's listening out there, uh, you obviously need to get logistical help that's on your own. Uh, that's why we've got Frisbee on today to, to kind of give you some knowledge. Uh, but you know, we, um, we essentially, I hired a partner out of the UK, partner agency. They helped me get set up in Japan because they actually all live there and they just focus on Japan. They helped us get set up. Then Marknology took over um, in regards with like continuing the shipments, um, you know, the, the content and things like that. We got it translated. We got the content we wanted. Um, and I took our US campaigns and I had the Japanese agency um, translate them and get them set up. Right. Well, then it's a matter of data and there's plenty of tools like once you get help with the setup and the localization to continue to run it. So, you know, we just swapped services for a couple of months, essentially. And then I had then I was set up in the J Japan uh, marketplace and we're crushing it. So it wasn't really um, that I had to learn all of the ins and outs of Japanese culture and everything like that to be able to sell and be able to get my business set up. I simply found someone that was good at it, a pro at it. Um, you know, even me as an agency, I didn't just hand my customer over to them. We made an agreement of being like, 
okay, I'm going to reach out to this expert agency. I'm going to make this connection. We're going to work together. We're going to get you set up and then we're going to take over. And as we need, as needed, if we need to, we reach out to them to say, hey, can you go through our PPC, make sure our terms are correct, like things like that. Because, you know, you're using Google Translate and things like that once you're set up. But um, very profitable very profitable channel and um, there's not a lot of competition for us there. So once you get through the hurdles, a lot of times what's on the other side of those shipping woes or those inventory woes or the paperwork woes is uh, blue ocean in regards to lower PPC costs, lower cost of acquisition costs, um, customer lifetime value goes up because they continue to come back to you because there's not other options for them to keep trying different ones. So as the game goes, uh, in those markets, a lot of times the profitability just gets better and better and better. Um, and I have I have no skin in the game other than to say that I like um, as an agency, it's been a way that I can continue to bring value to brands um, maybe that aren't launching new products or that like, you know, we're like, hey, how can we continue to grow sales without just like spending more or or doing these things? Well, we can take some time to figure out logistically, maybe it's a nine month process to figure it out, you know, from top to bottom and getting your products there and get selling. Uh, but next year we're going to be in two markets and the next year we're going to be in three markets. Um, and the brands continue to grow. And I can tell you that if you're trying to sell, uh, there's nothing they like more than seeing you diversified, you know, across different marketplaces, um, around the world. It's stability for the brand, you know, um, I have a, a few more questions before we wrap up. Yeah. Uh, one more shout out to our sponsor. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So one question for you. Um, You're and so then, good at and that, then, by the way. What's that? You're so good at that, by the way. Man, I've uh, I got these sponsor reads. We got to do them live. I had to get good at it. I wish I could just like nail it once, and they would they no, would run it. So like, good. No, those those are great. I love on air and live reads. I'm a person who consumes it. I never have done it. I would baffle and I make it up as I go. I'm I'm just full of it. It's whatever the top of my head can't read a thing. You're like time. okay. Well, honestly, fullscale.io. Even if you're not looking for software developers, anyone that cares about e-commerce and tech and SaaS and stuff, I'm telling you, check out the website, check out their blog, the way that they've displayed their team, because basically you're hiring software developers to work and join your team, mm -hmm. right? And the way that they have just built this proprietary software to show off their team and what they do and their personalities and everything is really cool and unique, um, worth a check. So. As we're ending out, and I want to get into some final closing questions I usually have for all of our listeners, but I have one more. Um, just as a general, like, what are some common mistakes sellers are making um, whenever they first go to expand internationally? Um, just a few of those common mistakes that you see over and over and over. Assuming they can do it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Expectation. Expectations, yeah. Um, I have, I have a bone to pick with people who can say, A, we do it all in one, which again, Frisbee's striving, but what we're honest about, and I'm going to pat us on the back, is that we're pretty forefront of, if we say we're not good at it, we, we either find somebody who's really good at it. You mentioned uh, finding partners. Find partners who are experts in that area. We're not accountants. I don't even want to pretend I know what international tax and law is like, but I do know a bunch of people who kick ass and they can take care of Amazon sellers. And we know a collection of them are really fantastic at it. We're going to make sure that they get in touch with them and that they're doing the best job for our, the people who come and find Frisbee. And so we can help pay that path. I call us like the snow plows, right? People want to get to school on time or parents need to get to work on time. They need to have a plow that kind of pushes all that crap off the road as heavy or as light as it is. Um, you have to do that work ahead of time and you need to work with that team. So 
I don't like it when people claim that they can do everything because it's impossible. I don't know. I mean, agencies are good at a lot of things. And I just like marketology, they're, they're fantastic. I don't think that they have the time or bandwidth to figure out how to do that same thing in 20 different countries. I think it's impossible. Um, but, but again, I think they're really good at, you know, what they're good at. Um, and that's why people buy you. They buy the, the person or the, the service or, you know, they figure out they're going to make it work if they don't know. So first and foremost, that, that's what I think. I think the other expectation is to say that timeline is not like in order to be as a business, you need to set expectations, I think, and forecast and know and understand what time is the most valuable asset that you have. When you don't know the timelines that, and you think you can just switch it on and switch it off whenever, that doesn't work like that. If you're stopping a market, well, you have to like recoup your inventory. You have to like shut down your listings. You have to deal with the consequences of getting your inventory back. But if you're trying to go into a market and you make sure that, hey, Amazon won't shut me down when I first start, my goods are there. I need to make sure like if I'm selling a supplement, well, that country has different rules and regulations than what Japan does or what Australia mm -hmm. does or what the UK does. That takes a lot more time. Uh, US is a little less stringent, but it's more stringent in Japan. So that actually has a lot of factors for brands that are like, oh, maybe I don't want to do Japan. Yeah, I mean, that's our point is education. It might take six months. Again, it's those artificial barriers, but barriers in time. So time is always relative to a seller who's trying to think, if I start now, six months from now, I'm looking at December already. Do I want to start in December? Probably not. So maybe I push it another three months or I should have started three months ago. So we, we try to set expectations. And I think that's the hardest thing for anyone in a service or software space is that every, everyone wants any, everything instantaneous. Um, signing up for like a Helium 10, for example, you can start getting data today. Or uh, working with Marketology, you guys are probably up and running after a consult consultation and things like that after a certain time frame. Um, it, for our time frame, it's kind of funny. We kind of see people relatively like a six-month time frame of, hey, they explore, they're doing things, they're on the go. When they have time, quote-unquote, air quotes, um, they'll get to it. But other people, if they're really passionate about it, they can speed up that time when they work with the right people. Mm -hmm. So I think the expectations is always key and working with people who have done it. You, you want to make sure that they're, they're not just waiting around and not answering quickly because time is of the essence, especially yeah. with some of these brands quickly up and running. Um, but yeah, that, that would be the, the two things that come to mind of be careful if they say they can do everything again, relative in th those terms, but um ask questions like ask what you're good at where, where they you know where they might fall you know short um you know we don't do translations either so again i point people to our translation partners and things of that sort so we always want to be i always point to the headshot concept with um you know be really good at what you're good at and uh no one can like mess with you so mm -hmm. like don't spread yourself too thin um but find those trusted people and make you know, the experts, you know, do their work and kind of give you all those timelines and uh, according to the brand. So hopefully no, that I love, I love that. I think those are both great answers. Um, and I'm going to add a third from my agency side, which would be, I feel like the people that drag their feet that take a long time that aren't really pushing it are the people that are not great at admin. 
they're not great at like paperwork. They're not great at organization. Um, you know, the paperwork is kind of like they're, they're, that's what they're going to procrastinate, right? If you have like somebody that's just really good, all their stuff is in order, their docs are in order, you know, those are the best Amazon clients in general, because you're applying for stuff that you need, you get your ingredients list, you've got your labeling list, you've got your FDA approvals, you've got all your different things. If you're working with a partner that's good at those things, international expansion is easy, in my opinion. Um, you just jump in, you got to figure out what documents next, you'll get that one figure out what's next you get that one and pretty soon we're selling internationally yeah it's i had really a seller who, yeah who reached out to me after three years of me like introducing myself we we saw each other in a chat room in 2020 in december and it was like a, a webinar and we happened to connect we like had a call and she's like oh that sounds good like i'll think about it and i literally just got an email the other day she's like i'm finally ready for canada and that was three years ago and i was like that's awesome thanks for thinking of me like it, it's kind of those things of People will meet you where you're at and when they're ready. And I and I hate it goes back to where I learned sales and I learned pushing, pushing, pushing. No one likes a pushy salesperson. Not a single person does. No one likes to be shoved something down their throat that they don't want. But if I understand them and I know where they're at, I can feed them the things that they need at this point. And then it, they can come back for more education. Like oh, I want more. Like what else do you have? Um, I'm not one for shoving everything that we have down the road because. Believe it or not, I like saying no to people because we're not a good fit. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Time is the most valuable asset we have. Couldn't agree more. Um, just came to mind, like I actually launched one of my brands um, into Canada recently. I've been pushing, like I have partners with that one, two partners. And um, like, guys, we have to expand internationally. Guys, we have to expand internationally. Um, and I think we hit around a little shy of 30K. Uh, we've just, we just got up selling uh, with no PPC. So I'll let that one land for everyone that wants to complain about PPC and whatever. Yeah, we just literally got the product up. Obviously, good content, good listings, but um, that's just organically uh, because we're probably one of the first in our category to be there, um, and we're capturing we're capturing those sales. And imagine, I mean, the profit margin is is way higher than our U.S. side where we're having to advertise to get those sales. So um, that's a big win that we've had internally on, on one of my brands. Um, okay, as we wrap up the podcast, I love ending it with. What's something uh, you're working on uh, with Frisbee that you're excited about this uh, this year as we close out? And then something personally, uh, Ryan, I know you just got back from a trip, so maybe it was to take a trip, you know, but we're on the other side now, so I need a different different answer to that one. But something you're working on that you're so excited about, it can be family, it can be work, it can be whatever. Um, and then lastly, where people can contact you. Yeah, um, so Frisbee, we're, we're really excited. As everyone in the space knows, Amazon's constantly throwing curveballs. There's constantly... Pro, uh, programs that they're announcing and my favorite thing right now is uh finding out about a program that they're launching asking about amazon employees about that program and they're like never heard of it what is this and uh i love our partners uh and love amazon i think that i think that there's a pivot point right now i feel it feels like in the last three weeks uh, since i've been gone uh, on vacation that there's a lot of this headway and you're starting to see it amazon's getting back to the basics Amazon's going back to, hey, we need to support our third-party sellers. We need to give them data. We need to give them availability. We need to make it easier. So there's this launch of the Amazon X European Accelerator Program. Get up and running and start selling in Europe. They say two clicks in five business days, something crazy like that, through their pan-EU program. So they're building mm-hmm. and taking your listings in one European country, and they're getting it up and running, and they're basically duplicating it into all the countries in Europe and you can, you know, 
pick and choose, but you basically can start selling all of Europe in like five days, which is bananas um, after you've launched in one country. So that's, that's kind how of, it kind of used to be. Yeah, it's it's how it used to be. It was almost like the the Wild West days of like, let's get as much as we can up and running as fast as we can. And they started running quicker than, and they're like, slow down, let's like be methodical. Let, let's start, let's start doing this a little bit slower pace. Now it's like, now it's like floodgates are open. So they're, they're doing that. There's a lot of cool programs I've reached out to Frisbee about, which I won't talk about, but just so many cool opportunities, not just on Amazon, but on e-commerce in general of how can we make this more omni-channel? How can we make this a brand, um, you know, focused company instead of uh, an Amazon focused company, right? Because yeah. as I talk to sellers all the time, they're like, Amazon's great. They got us up and running, but now we, now we rely heavily on B2C or, um, go back to affiliate marketing or now we're going and doing Shopify. We're doing, there's so many other opportunities that fit our mold um, that they get, just get smarter and they kind of condense and consolidate and, and focus on the channels that matter and don't get shiny object syndrome. Um, so that's what I'm excited about. Me personally, uh, my son, our baseball team that I'm coaching, uh, they're 3-0, and so I'm pretty excited about that in the okay, playoffs. Okay, okay. Um, hopefully we can bring home a couple more wins, which would be exciting. Um, but he's an eight and he's, he's, he loves to be competitive. He's one of those kids that if, uh, we were playing horse yesterday, basketball, and we were shooting around like back from vacation and like taking it easy. And, uh, I'm playing horse and I'm jacking around having fun. And he's like the last shot and he missed it. And he's just like bawling his eyes out. So I'm really trying to teach, uh, not me so competitive, but he's like some person he's like, I will kill people to like win at horse like he's just this one of those hungry kids who's not he does not like to lose um fun for him is uh just uh getting one over on an adult which is a lot of fun as a parent but also exhausting as a parent (laughs) um yeah i got back from vacation for two weeks uh with my wife never had a vacation that long highly suggest everyone listening to that find a time to like not look at emails don't look at messages disconnect from slack don't look at social media for two weeks your life kind of gets a lot lighter um the biggest challenge i had was finding where to eat every day Mm. um that was nice um but here we are back in the quote real world um talking to all you people so i love it um but it's it was a nice uh departure from working so hard on the business of you know um making things grow and then um yeah where people can contact me um i try to be everywhere as much as i can but uh Either uh, email me at ryan at frisbee.com or, um, and that's F-R-I-S-B-I.com, not, not like the disc, but close. Um, we're, uh, it's hard to get a six-letter word now or a URL, but you can find us at frisbee.com or uh, if you just search Ryan Kramer on LinkedIn, that's my favorite channel to engage with people, learn about stuff. And uh, YouTube is also fun where we get to talk to people like Andrew uh, on our podcast and drop some awesome knowledge. and. Uh, yeah, I love, I love talking to people. I love learning about stories and brands and how they evolve and uh, every story is different. That's why I'm in the service space and why I'm in the space I'm at. Uh, I don't like to talk about myself or my brand. I like to learn about everything at once. So it's my background. That's my history. And that's, that's what, that's what drives me. Thank you. For, thank you, Ryan. Those were amazing. Um, I love that your son's so competitive because I feel like you're so kind and gentle. Uh, oh, no, I'm competitive. <laughs> I, I've seen you, you know, but I also like that. That's You can be competitive and just be like, you know, quiet about it. Not yeah. like, you know, 
Um, like if, you know, if I'm playing a game, I'm trying to win, don't get me wrong, but yeah. there's a different level. Right. And, um, so it's, I, it's interesting or it's fun for me to think of, uh, you coaching the team and you know how that's going. Oh, I yell. It's, it's a lot of fun. I get super competitive. Baseball is my sport. Um, big baseball fan. I played it when I was three all the way till I was 18 and won a state championship and I, I love it. Um, I traveled baseball and that's how I saw the world. I uh, like the U S and eventually traveled and I just love learning new things and, you know, uh, that's part of me that teaching them and teaching, yeah, them, teaching you know? too is also cool. Um, you see some kids who are like also very competitive, but you're like, they throw a helmet and you're like, Hey, stop. You're not the only person who's ever encountered this problem. Take a breath, reevaluate and move on. And it's kind of like, a seeing it through the eyes of an eight-year-old, it's like a reminder. what's distraughting in the world is like getting out or like not, they're all winning and they're like, oh, but I didn't do the, I didn't do X, Y, Z. I'm like, but it's a team sport. And like, that's where I'm trying to get them. It's not individualized. Now it's a team. You're all working together. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you back, especially your first day back from Italy. <laughs> um, and if you guys haven't already checked out Ryan's podcast, the global spin um, worth checking it out. Frisbee's got uh, a new show and Ryan's the host there. It's absolutely awesome. They have a ton of great guests, a lot of guests that have been on startup hustle in the past or, or will be in the future. So um, definitely give it a check, a check out. And, and again, to our sponsor, fullscale.io, um, do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders Let fullscale help? When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let the platform match you up with fully vetted, high experienced team of engineers at fullscale. They specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. Thank you, Hustlers. Thank you, Ryan. We'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by fullscale.io. Helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.